Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode for Society for Armenian Studies podcast. Our guest today is Viken Cheterian, who is a journalist and a political analyst. He teaches international relations at Webster University in Geneva and lectures in the Global Studies Institute at the University of Geneva. His books include From Perestroika to Rainbow Revolutions, Reform and Revolution After Communism, published by Hearst in 2013, War and Peace in the Caucasus, Russia's Troubled Frontier, published again by Hearst in 2009, and his latest book, Open Wounds, Armenians, Turks, and a Century of Genocide, originally published in March 2015 by Hearst and later on republished by Oxford University Press in October 2015. So today for our podcast, we will talk about his latest book. Uh, hello, Viken. Hello. Thank you for ha- uh, for accepting our invitation for the podcast. So uh, the book Open Wounds was published in March 2015. How did you come to the idea of writing this book, uh, the sen- On the Centennial of the Genocide, a book on Turkish-Armenian relations? And why do you call it a century of a genocide? In the su- so the, the initial idea was not mine. It was my publisher, uh, Michael Dwyer, uh, the director of Hearst. Uh, I was in London. We were discussing uh, my previous book, um, the one concerning the color revolutions and Michael uh, asked me don't you want to write a book about the genocide for the centennial and in a very spontaneous way I answered no Michael I think there's a number of very good books recently published about the genocide but what I really care uh, to write about is what happened after the, the genocide so um Later, I was uh, a bit surprised on myself because uh, I had avoided uh, dealing a lot with the genocide because uh, I felt it's something so painful that, uh, you know, to, to, to write about the genocide is, you know, to impose uh, yet, in a, you know, again, the uh, suffering on, on, on oneself. Uh, and when when i was thinking about why did i accept uh, michael's uh, you know invitation and and how come i had a whole project of a book uh, in my mind then i realized that uh, in the last few years um, the the, um, the developments within turkey uh, back then um, the fact that a number of turkish intellectuals had engaged with this uh, you know, difficult topic, and the fact that uh, I knew a number of them and I had discussed uh, with them these issues over a period uh, was the main reason uh, which gave me the, the courage to, to address this, this, this issue. Now, um, at the heart of the book is what happened afterwards. So, okay, the genocide, we know, we know the, the genocide itself. Um, what happened during the genocide, but also it's it's very important to know what happened afterwards. How do we we the the those who are still living, no, not not the dead, uh, deal with this uh, legacy? So that was my question, and and at the center of it was, as I said, uh, the fact that Turkish intellectuals had discovered this issue and they were dealing with it. Uh, so I wanted to know why after so many years. Um, a number of uh, very courageous people in Turkey uh, decided to address this this issue. 
in case uh, the question of genocide is painful to me, it's also painful for them in a different way, but it's also very, very heavy legacy. Uh, so they could have uh, chosen not to deal with it as, uh, as it was the case for many decades. So I wanted to understand why people like Taner Akcham, people like uh, Ragib Zarakulu, people like Hassan Jamal and others um, decided to confront this, this legacy. On the other side, you know, the, the other side of this same uh, question is how come for so many decades Turkish intellectuals, artists, uh, cultured people could, uh, you know, keep silent, uh, could ignore this enormous event, which is also part of their own history. And it's interesting to read that you there in the in the subtitle you say a century of genocide. Do you mean that there's a continuity in the violence in the history of the Turkish Republic, or and how do you explain the century of genocide? Um, Since you're dealing with the aftermath of the of the genocide itself. Yes, the 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 nineteen fifteen genocide, the fact that it was uh, denied, censored, forgotten. Uh, it doesn't mean that uh, it's gone. It doesn't mean that it disappeared. The the genocide uh, and the legacy of the genocide and the culture of genocide is still with us. So um, a century of genocide because as I was writing, the events in Sinja were, were taking place. And um, the events in Sinja, from the perspective of the, of the Yazidis, from the perspective of the victims, is very strongly linked with the past, with the Ottoman past, with the Ottoman mass violence. Um, but also when, when, I, when I discussed this issue with uh, Kurdish populations in Eastern Turkey, uh, they too, they made the link between the past and the present. This, this, this past, 1915, which might sound very far away from our reality, from our daily life. When you go and talk about this with Kurdish population in Eastern Turkey, uh, it's not far away. Um, it, it's it's you know it's still very present in the uh, living memory. So, in a way, the book argues that uh, the fact that the genocide was denied and censored for so long, it it is also with us at the same time. So when the when the book first came out in March two thousand fifteen, Armenians worldwide were getting ready to commemorate the centennial of the genocide. So, and as you said, there's a lot of literature and scholarship on the genocide itself. So what were the challenges and some of the difficulties of writing such a book on Turkish-Armenian relations historically and politically? What were the challenges and the difficulties you faced while you were doing your research and writing the book? Um, when I started the book, initially I thought I will talk about the Armenians, about the victims. As I advanced my research, um, I discovered that the, the Turkish side of the story is, is much more important and, and, and deeper and has, uh, you know, deeper consequences for the entire Middle East, including for the Armenians. So uh, more and more, I, I started talking about how Turkey dealt with this legacy. Um, and the, the, the major challenge of this book is that uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a history of 100 years, so you can deal with it in, in so many different ways. Um, and um, 
the difficulty was to, to limit myself, to say uh, I will deal with 13 chapters and not 17 uh, or 18 or 19. So this was one challenge. The other challenge was how to uh, write this history in a way that, uh, that is readable, that, that flows, uh, that the narration flows and it's not very difficult for the reader to, uh, you know, to engage with the book. Uh, so, so I, I don't know, it, it depends on, you know, it, it's, it's for the reader to answer with that, whether I managed or not. But um, at the end, I had to make some choices and to limit myself. Uh, and I think I didn't uh, manage to realize everything I wanted to do initially. Uh, just for, for an example, um, initially I thought that uh, I should address uh, the question of um, similarities and differences between the Armenian uh, case uh, compared to Assyro-Chaldeans and the Greeks. Uh, so I, I wanted to also include a chapter about that, but eventually I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Well, I had time limits <laughs> and I had to deliver. Well, I guess this brings us to the question of approaches in the book, the approach that you adopted in the book. Uh, based on your biography, you have a background in journalism and you have been an active journalist covering different sites, different areas and different countries. So how does your background in journalism combined with historical research inform your approach in this book? Um, well, when you talk about journalism in academic circles, you know, it's not something uh, very much appreciated. So journalism is, is seen as something light, something not very serious, um, a profession which doesn't deal with the sources in a, in a very uh, methodological manner. Uh, but um, I think also in academia, sometimes we use journalistic approach, but we call it oral history. Uh, me, I think... Um, whether you choose to, to use uh, oral sources or written sources, uh, it depends on the question you are trying to address. And my concern was to link the historical events of 1915 with current concerns. So um, in, 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 that, in that approach, journalism helped me because uh, I did a number of interviews uh, whether in Istanbul, whether throughout Turkey or abroad, uh, which gave a fresh angle to, um, to, to the book. But journalism also helped me in another manner. Um, as I said, the book has a number of chapters and each chapter you can, you can take them individually and make a book out of them. So it, it's very dense. At the same time, the challenge was how to link one chapter with the next. And, and their different techniques in journalism, in narration, uh, helped me to, to do the link. And um, there, for example, there's one chapter which uh, basically is uh, a, a trip I did from, from Bolis, from Istanbul, to Ani. And um, you, can, you can consider this travel writing, but at the same time, uh, I think, uh, while talking about the genocide, this approach can be used uh, even more, uh, you know, um, uh, in, in a deeper manner. Because when you travel in eastern uh, Eastern Turkey, and when you know where to go and where to to to, to look, and, you know, the land tells you a lot about this genocide. The wounds are still there, waiting to be seen and described. Well. That, I think, 
is is an is an interesting point because you talk about the different se um, segments of the society and the bulk of the book the bulk of the text is about the aftermath of the genocide and how that affected domestic and foreign politics of the Turkish Republic so how did the different how did the different segments of the population engage with the question of the genocide for example from leftist intellectuals to nationalists to people in the rural areas and what were the most important turning points that you found during your research? Um, well, it is amazing how the Turkish Republic, with all its segments, managed to forget not about the history of the genocide, but even the presence of the Armenians. Uh, for example, in the book, I have one chapter where I um, basically uh, present uh, three important Turkish personalities who engaged with the 1915 genocide. And one of them is Taner Akcan. Uh, so I had 17 hours of interview with, with, with Taner to, to, to present uh, this part of the, of the book uh, next to secondary sources, articles, uh, articles uh, written by Taner, by, by others and so on. And it is amazing, for example, uh, Taner Akcan says that uh, he first discovered about the Armenian genocide when he was doing research in Germany, where he was political asylum seekers, where he was engaged in a research on torture, and his job was to do uh, research on torture in Turkey. And while doing research, he came across first the Hamidian massacres, and he was shocked. He didn't know anything about that. And uh, he told me, uh, you know, we can, we know, we knew uh, so much about the history of the Russian Revolution, the Cuban Revolution, the war in Vietnam, Tanner being from left-wing uh, tradition. Uh, but he said we didn't know about our own history. So um, uh, from this perspective, I think uh, it's not, it, it is easy to kind of present the Turkish official perspective. They censored the history of genocide. It is more challenging to to grasp, understand, and and uh, explain why Turkish intellectuals, Turkish left wing activists, and so on and so on, uh, basically shared the same uh, official thesis of the Turkish state. And how did the how did the Turkish leftist intellectuals change their discourse about the genocide? Because I remember you have a very, a very. Uh, interesting chapter and in how the Turkish intellectuals, especially in the, in the 70s and later on the 80s, changed their discourse while they were talking about the Armenian past, the Armenian genocide, that they were completely oblivious to in the 60s and 50s. Um, I, I would say that the trend started with the end of the Cold War, uh, with the end of this, this polarized uh, international uh, view of politics, you know, you know Soviet uh, paradigm on the one hand and the American on the other hand, uh, which did not permit the, the development of, the, of, of a discourse about the victimized populations. And the end of the Cold War um, made many people, especially leftist intellectuals, who were formerly socialist, communist, Marxist, and their paradigm had collapsed. So they were looking for other ways of engaging with the past, the present, and the future. And there, the human rights paradigm became very important, at least in the, in the decade of the 90s. It's less important today, but, but back then it was very central. So, so this, this paradigmatic change uh, opened the possibility of uh, developing a new discourse. And then there, there were some in the, uh, individuals like Tanerak Cham, 
who was the first among the Turks. Uh, even though um, you know there was this opening, yet when when you read the the chapter about Taner and the others, you see how difficult it was for Taner Akçam to uh, you know. Uh, to find echo in 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 the the research he was doing and what 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 he was discovering about the Armenian genocide, so Taner is is a key person. Ragib Zarakulu is another uh, key person who had engaged with this issue even even before uh, coming uh, after his engagement with the Kurdish question, Greek question, and so on. And then of course there's the enormous legacy left behind by uh, Randink, who's who's the hero of the book. Uh, the book starts with him and he's on the background of every single chapter of, of the book. So the book basically starts with um, an assassination taking place in Istanbul and the book tries to answer why was Randink killed in Istanbul in 2007? Uh, it's interesting because Randink was one of the few people probably in Turkey who was really a, a staunch supporter for Turkish-Armenian recon reconciliation and re relations. So do you believe there should be a new format in Turkish-Armenian relations and does the book suggest any alternatives? Uh, the, the book tries to to document uh, what happened in the past, so it's not a policy policy book, okay? Um, and then the book was written in in a very specific period. It was just after the assassination of of Randink, uh, which put the issue of the Armenian past, present, Armenian absence very strongly on the Turkish agenda. Uh, moreover. Uh, after the uh, Russian-Georgian War of 2008, Turkey also tried to reconsider its policy in Southern Caucasus and engage with Armenia. So there was a very different political context in which I was doing research and writing the book. Uh, I finished the, um, the writing in summer 2014, uh, and since then many, many things changed, especially, um, you know, we were disappointed that Turkey didn't uh, pick up this opportunity. Um, the, the signs were there with um, Erdogan's letter uh, sent to the Armenians worldwide on the 23rd April 2014 and, and even more confirmed in 2015 that there won't be any change. It's more of the same. And then there was the um, coup attempt in, in Istanbul, in, in, in Turkey in 2016, which completely shifted the political atmosphere of Turkey. So yes, there should be a new uh, approach to Turkish-Armenian relations. Uh, yes, both Turkey and Armenia need to uh, discuss a number of, of, of issues and make peace. Uh, yet the conditions for that are you know, harder today than uh, at the time the book was being uh, written. Mm -hmm. Maybe for a last question, how how was the book received in academic circles in, in in journalistic circles or in any of the communities that you visited so uh my publisher um you know he wanted to take this opportunity of the centennial and and uh, and publish a book about the armenian genocide uh at the end we discovered that this was not uh, you know, a very original thinking. Many other publishers had thought the same. And of course, uh, we know that Armenians are very closely associated with writing and with books. So at the end, in 2015, there was 
a large number of books published uh, about the genocide and about its legacy. Less about its legacy, more about the genocide. Anyway, the, the market was overloaded. So I think the initial expectations uh, that the book will receive much attention um, you know, by you know, reviews and newspapers writing reviews about the book uh, was less than what, what, what was expected. But on a longer uh, period, uh, I would say that the book kept receiving attention, today more academic attention than, than journalistic back in 2015. For example, uh, International Journal for Middle Eastern Studies published a review only in 2018. So uh, I would say that on the longer term, the book is, is still being you know, read, uh, reviewed and even translated. Uh, its Arabic translation was published in 2017. Uh, this year we expect uh, its Turkish trans uh, translation to, to be published. So disappointment initially, uh, but on the longer term, I think uh, it, it, it's, uh, it showed that uh, it discusses a number of important issues and the attention uh, is, is kept. I would also add that the attention coming from Turkish intellectuals, writers, journalists, scholars uh, has been uh, more important than uh, the attention of, uh, I don't know, uh, French, Swiss, American journalists or, or scholars. So that's also interesting to, to note. Well, covering a time span of 100 years in a book is, is definitely not easy. So do you think there are other issues that you would have wanted to cover, but you couldn't cover in the book? And I, you think it's, it's a, also a key issue in Turkish-Armenian relations? Um, I already mentioned one, which is, um, I, I think that the Armenian genocide um, is, is, is part of a, of a broader historical process. And at least we should engage with the idea that uh, the Assyro-Chaldean the and, the, and the Greek deportations and the massacres um, are part uh, of, of the same process. Uh, there are differences, but there are also similarities. And we have to engage with this. So um, I couldn't do it in the book. Probably I will do it else, uh, elsewhere. But also the other issue that we already discussed um, I do deal with, with, with this question of how, how was it possible to keep silence about the genocide, not from the side of the Turkish state, but uh, from other actors who are not part of the state. This question is very difficult. Uh, I try to address it in the book. I try to address it in an individual chapter published last year, but still it's a question that uh, keeps haunting me. Thank you, Iken. Thank you.